Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 286. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Producer Megan's on the sticks. Cody Saftik is fresh home from vacation in, in Nashville. Um, ready to break down 15 fights from the UK. Uh, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100. On your first deposit, how was how was the trip there, Code? Good man, great trip, good trip down uh, again. Big fan of the city, and uh, I just there's so much stuff to do, right? You, I've already been down there, and the second time around, it's like so many different things and so many different places to eat, and yeah, I don't know, it was it was good to get out and do something different. But uh, unfortunately, I had to pay for the entire vacation, and then I had to pay for some shitty picks last week. Not shitty in terms of like wins versus losses, and I knew it was going to be Dog City. I just didn't have the right dogs. Shitty in that had you on at the top thinking if JJ Aldrich wins, it's an easy hedge out. JJ Aldrich shits in the apple pie quintessentially. I have to let it ride at this point because I only got one ticket left in play. And then Jan loses. So crushed from top to bottom. Not a good betting week. This week we've got a pay-per-view. We've got 15 fights like you mentioned. So uh, yeah, happy to get at it. And hopefully we get right back on track. Yeah, I turned a small profit and it all came down to the Martinez by decision. I also added them live, but. I, I basically scattershotted a whole bunch of, like, really wide props. All of them lost except for Martinez by decision. But when you're betting massive plus money, you don't have to be right all that often. So uh, small profit, nothing to brag about, nothing to be too excited about. 15 fights. Let's get into it. We got the, uh, the trilogy of Kamara Usman taking on Leon Rocky Edwards. Minus 235 Usman. Plus 200 for Edwards. Take it away, Code. I, I think you got to go with Kamaru Usman on the basis of, I don't know, it's tough. It's tough because you have to pay for it, knowing that he just got KO'd, knowing that he's a little bit older, knowing that it's his first knockout loss, and how is he going to come back from it, and he's got to go to Leon Edwards' own backyard and this, that, and the other, but... To me, it seems like you saw the fight. It seems like Kamara Usman was the better fighter. It seems like he's got the tools to go out there and get the victory. And yeah, he got clipped, but I just believe that he's one of those great champions that should be able to make the corrections and come back. Now, we've kind of seen this before. George St. Pierre got clipped by Matt Serra. And when they rematched, it was like, oh, well, maybe Matt Serra will do it again. Yeah, but he did it, right? In fact, nobody ever knocked out George after that fight. He did get clipped by a head kick by Carlos Condit. But all the same, never did get knocked out after that. The Cain Velasquez fight with Junior DeSantos gets clipped that first time. That second time, you see who the better fighter is. I think Usman will go out there refocused, re-energized, and do what he needs to do. But again, you know now that Leon Edwards is is dangerous the entire time, right? Um, for me, it's a Usman, it's a Usman by decision. I don't see him finishing Edwards. I don't think he's got a submission game that exists that should be able to uh, to tap out Leon Edwards. I don't think he's going to be able to go out and knock him out. So even though I don't like this money line, I 100% try to improve it if I'm picking Kamar Usman, which I am. I try to improve it by taking that Usman by decision. Edwards' case, it's not like he just knocked him out. He legitimately won the first round against Kamaru Usman the last time they fought, right? He took Kamaru Usman down. First guy in UFC history to land a takedown on Usman. Furthermore, he mounts him, takes his back, secures a body triangle, kills the last minute of the first round, legitimately wins the first round. So it's not as if he just has a puncher's chance. It's all it's just, He could win the fight on the basis of putting the right game plan together. But you see, two, three, four. It's Kamaru Usman. It's Kamaru Usman with five takedowns. It's Kamaru Usman with 
10 and a half minutes of control time. It's Kamaru Usman grinding away with him. And if I'm Usman and I just got knocked out by a head kick, you think I want to go out there and dance around and play the outside perimeter game? No, I want to go out there, kill that space, and get some takedowns. So if he goes out there and just wrestles, 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 hard to imagine that Edwards wins this fight <clears throat> other than, you know, a contentious uh, split decision or something because it is in the UK by all things, right? Uh, so for me personally, I'll take Kamaru Usman by decision. Moneyline, don't love it. And uh, hopefully I don't get bummed on a decision or knocked out late. I'm going to go the opposite side. I'm going to pick uh, Leon Edwards. Um, the fight's in the UK. We've seen really, really shabby scoring uh, historically, whether you're talking about like... I've been screwed on so many like Saturday afternoon boxing cards, like tailing somebody. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the hometown guy always wins. Now, obviously, the UFC brings a lot of their own judges for these types of things. I just think, like, here's here's my general mentality. And I see, like, the, the narrative going out there that, you know, Usman was, like, minus 1,300 going into round five. Or I don't know the exact number. But it's like, yeah, because that's how... Uh, MMA scoring works. It's like it was very clear that it was 3-1 heading into the last round. The only way Edwards wins or gets a draw is either gets a 10-8 or finds a way to get the knockout. If he gets a if he lands that head kick in round 2, we're having a totally different conversation. I think the fact that he was able to have some success in round 1 in the grappling department didn't get finished um in the pre in the following rounds where he he looked kind of lost out there. He's like four years younger than Kamaro Usman. I don't know. I feel like maybe the uh, this is the end of the line for Usman as the elite of the elite in the division. I'm I'm more than willing to be wrong. I haven't bet it yet, um, but at north of plus two hundred, I'm going to be a buyer on uh, Leon Rocky Edwards to retain his title. Moving on down, we've got. Rafael Faziv <laughs> taking on Justin the Highlight Gaethje banger fight. Uh, I mean, this is one of those fights that you, it's like must-see TV. Fazayev is a minus 225 favorite. Gaethje can be had for plus 190. What do you think here, bud? Yeah, well, obviously this is must-see TV. And when you're in the UFC and you're, you're trying to sell a pay-per-view, it's like, oh, well, we got a title fight. Okay, cool, we got a, we got a title fight. How much do people care about this title fight? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know how much interest there is. But you give it a nice co-feature like this. Uh, yeah, if you're a fan of the sport, you're definitely going to be tuning in. Justin Gaethje has been basically the highlight kid ever since he's come into the UFC. It's been nothing but fight of the nights. It's been nothing but fight of the years. Even before he comes to the UFC, his entire run with World Series of Fighting, just an absolute highlight. But uh, as such, man, he's just taken so much damage. And now at 34, I think when you make a living as being that guy that's just tougher than his opponent, willing to take a punch to give a punch, that's fine. But once your body starts breaking down, once your durability starts to go, the game plan is just not going to work anymore. Defensively, He's most definitely a liability. Even if you go back to those World Series of Fighting fights, he'll fight to the level of his opponent. Both fights with Luis Palomino, he just slugs it out with him. He takes a ton of damage. A lot of these are fights, even though he's a 10-1 to favorite, he's taking the damage. He's making them entertaining. His UFC debut against Michael Johnson rocked in the first round. Comes back and beats him. Basically, every fight subsequent to that one, he's going to take a lot of damage. He's going to give back that damage. Again, though, you're starting to see the cracks in the armor. He was a guy that had that legendary durability. It took Eddie Alvarez three rounds, finishes him in the third. It takes Dustin Poirier four rounds. I think those two fights alone are like a career worth of damage to sustain. But again, he, he had some great performances after that. 
the Charles Oliveira fight last time out, he's got Charles hurt, right? Charles, by all means, is on rubber legs, but he just doesn't pace himself, Gaethje. He just continuously goes in for the kill, and then you see as soon as Charles lands on him, hurts him, puts him down, Charles gets his back, is able to choke him out, and <clears throat> get the rear naked choke victory. To me, against Fiziev, it's very much striker versus striker. Gaethje can wrestle. He just chooses not to wrestle, right? If he's going to stand in front of Fiziev and just throw these bombs, I very much see Rafael Fiziev just landing the cleaner shots. Maybe not the better shots all the time, but the cleaner shots. He's going to intercept him. He's going to see him coming. He's going to counter. Gaethje has a wild style. He has a reckless style. He has a fun style. But to somebody that's that technical... And Rafael Fiziev, I think he's going to see a lot of those shots coming. I think he's going to avoid a lot of them. I don't think he's going to be as susceptible to the leg kicks. And the only guy that really had good success with that volume-based attack with the striking was Bobby Green. Well, Bobby Green defensively, you know, kind of responsible. Shakes moves, shakes his head all the round, you know, does the shoulder roll. But a guy that's not there to get hit necessarily a whole lot, whereas Justin Gaethje is. This is another price point, though. I, I, I don't love the money line by all means because I know that Justin Gaethje is going to fight for my dollar. I know that he's going to go out and be reckless. I know that he's got a puncher's chance. I know that he's got cardio. I know that he's got the experience. I know that he's performed at the highest level and been a guy that's, you know, challenged for the title. So it, the plus money on him certainly looks tempting. Um, it's just, I, 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 I see, I see the cracks in the wall. I see him starting to fall apart a little bit. I see him starting to slow down a little bit. And whereas there was a time where guys just couldn't handle that pressure. Now they can, now they can kind of figure him out a little bit. Um, again, though, when you have two world-class grapplers, right, this guy's a good wrestler. That guy's a great wrestler. <clears throat> you bet the great wrestler all day long. In striking, it's a little bit different. You got a good striker. You got a great striker. Because it's punchy-kicky, good striker's got a great chance of getting the knockout as well. Gaethje is live as an underdog. It's just not enough for me to pull the trigger on him. So I will go with Raphael Fiziev. Don't have a prop on it. As much as I would like to say Fiziev by decision, the way that Justin Gaethje fights, I don't like betting him in 15-minute spots. And I also don't like to bet him to get finished because the guy could take one hell of a punch. So I don't just I don't have a great prop lean on that one. But the pick would be Fazeev. Yeah, I, I echo a lot of your same sentiments there. I, I'm picking Fazeev. I think he's the better overall striker. He impressed me against Rafael Dos Anjos last time out with like his takedown defense. And Gaethje, if you're betting Gaethje because you think he's actually going to put that singlet on, like we've been waiting for that for so long it isn't gonna like maybe maybe he pulls the wool over all of our eyes and he finally goes out there and uh, implements it but Faziva has shown enough takedown defense I think um that I don't think it's just gonna be easy to just go out there and just you know take him down and hold him down for for 15 full minutes so I'm going to go with the better striker, but yeah, minus 225. I think the books have this about right. Like, Gaethje's 100% live. You know, Rafael Fazeev got knocked out by Magomed Mustafaev with a spinning back kick. First fight in the UFC, and it's only been wins since then. Punchy kicky, as you said, crazy things can happen, and Gaethje hits really hard. So, if he if he lands a bomb, gets the knockout... It's very, very, very obviously in play. Um, he could win a decision as well, though, because his volume is probably, like, if he goes blood and guts war, he can probably out-volume just about anybody in the lightweight division. So I would steer clear of, like, really attacking props here. I don't know what is really going to happen when the two of these guys get in there, but I know I can't wait to find out. Uh, Fazeev will be the pick, but no bet. Uh, Gunnar Nelson takes on Brian Barbarina, minus 355 for Gunny Gunnar Nelson. Barbarina could be half a plus 280. I mean, 
This probably comes down to how early and how often does Gunnar Nelson get the takedowns. It's not so simple as, oh, he's going to take him down and get the submission because I was on Gunnar Nelson to win by submission last time out. And, I mean, he wasn't really chasing the submission when he went down there. He got the three takedowns, but he was happy to. He's a smart guy. He's always been a smart guy. The way that he fights, very analytical in his approach. He's not going to lose position to, uh, to chase a submission or a finish. Yeah, I really struggled to find a prop here. I think Gunnar Nelson wins. Like, how do you beat Brian Barberini? You take him down. Like, go through his, his UFC stats page. It's just like this guy gets taken down over and over and over and over again against people with less talent than Gunnar Nelson. If the fight is staying on the feet, Brian Barberini is a guy who can throw 180 significant strikes. That's not Gunnar Nelson's game whatsoever. Barberina is durable. I mean, if you have like a prop that's like Nelson by sub or decision, I wonder what that pays. I'll look that up and let you take it away. The pick is going to be Gunnar Nelson for me, but minus 355, I think it's probably close to about right. Like I've seen it hovering around minus 400 in other spots. Like the path is very clearly there. It's the the tr- tricky part becomes, does he get the finish here? And I'm not so sure after his last time out. So Gunnar Nelson for me, what about you? This feels like a straight-up trap line to me. Like, there's what should happen, and then there's what's probably going to happen. Now, let's talk about what should happen first of all. Gunnar Nelson takes his back, probably gets a rear naked choke. If not, secures position. Why? Much more fluid grappler, like you said. He's got a knack for taking them back, and Brian Barbarina has got takedown defense issues and also got serious issues of giving his back up. If you want to run through the guys that have taken Brian Barbarina down, <clears throat> Anthony Ivey. Anthony Ivey took him down five times. Jason Witt took him down eight times. Darian Weeks took him down four times. Matt Brown took him down five times. These guys aren't wrestlers. I'll give him a pass that Rafael Dos Santos took him down four times. Pass all day. The other guys, you get no pass. He's got defensive wrestling issues. So it's not that Gunner probably takes him down. It's that pretty much everybody probably takes him down. Whereas the other guys don't have great grappling and allow Brian Barbrain to just get back up. That's not going to be the case with Gunner. He doesn't need the rear naked choke. He just needs the back. As soon as he gets the back, he puts the body triangle in. Once he puts the body triangle in, say goodbye for the rest of the four minutes that's left in the round. You're not going anywhere. So when you think about it that way, Gunner very likely wins this fight uh, by decision, if not a rear naked choke finish, especially knowing what you know from that last fight with Brian Barbrain that, uh, you know, Rafael Desanos, easy takedowns, takes his back, chokes him out. Gunner Nelson, you know, a guy that's fought his entire career at 170 pounds, theoretically, does the same thing. If he doesn't get the choke, he just wins two of the three rounds, wins the fight. That's what should happen. Here's why it feels super trappy to me. So the line's obviously why, because the line's very reflective of what should happen. But Gunnar Nelson, man, he's 34 years old. It's not like he's a spring chicken by any stretch, but he, d- he doesn't fight very often. This is a guy that's had one fight since 2019. That one fight since 2019 was against Takashi Sato, Mm -hmm. where he just pretty much went through the motions. So he's fought at a high level previously, but he's effectively had one fight in the last four years. Now, when you remember him at his glory days, he's 30 years old, he's in the prime of his life, and he's a small-ass welterweight, for the record. Mm -hmm. Guy should have been fighting at 155 pounds, but he's always been against weight cut. So he competes at 170, and eventually he got to not title contention, but like fringe top 10 contender, and the guys were just too big for him. Now, he shows a split decision loss to Leon Edwards. Super impressive, right? But if you watch the fight, how is it a split decision? Like, Edwards very clearly wins the first two rounds, and then the third takes it off, makes a mistake, 
allows Gunnar Nelson to have some grappling spots, loses the third round, at worst, whatever. So that on paper looks good for him. His fight with Gilbert Burns, he gets outstruck. It doesn't matter. This is what I want to zone back to. His fight with Alex Oliveira, okay? The first round, he gets outstruck 30-2 to two against Cowboy Oliveira. He's getting beat up. And then he snatches the submission. The fight with Gilbert Burns, right? Gilbert Burns is a top guy, so I won't hold too much against him. But you see that he's not an elite, elite level grappler. Solid grappler, but not an elite, elite level grappler. That he takes three years off, comes back as a massive favorite against Takashi Sato, and wins, but leaves a lot to the imagination. So we're betting him on a line that's like prime Gunnar Nelson, good to go, great training camp. But in all reality, he's had one fight in the last four years. He's now in his mid-30s. He's a small welterweight to begin with. Uh, he hasn't fought that elite competition in a long time. Those are all like, you know, causes for concern. And he gets outworked in pretty much all of these fights. Like the Alan Jobad fight, he's getting outstruck. He ends up winning, he get, ends up getting the submission. The Alex Oliveira fight, he's easily getting outstruck and he ends up getting the submission. If he does not get the submission on Brian Barbarena, there's a good possibility that he just gets worked over on the numbers. Now, Brian Barbarena, for as many takedowns as he gives up, he gives up so many of them because he does have a good ability to get back to his feet. Even Rafael Dos Santos needed four takedowns to put him away, right? So if he does give up a takedown to Gunner, he's just got to make sure he don't give up his back. Got to keep moving. Got to get back up to his feet. Here's a guy that eventually uh, was a walking around like 220 pounds before his back surgery. Is a big guy. Is very big. Well, he was a huge lightweight, but, you know, pretty solid for 170 pounds. One has to wonder he wouldn't be considered a live underdog just because of the layoff, just be for Nelson, just because of the, you know, so one-dimensional. Is his game evolved? The sports evolved? Has his game evolved? And it seems too easy. Oh, well, he'll just take down Brian Barbarino like everybody does. And he'll just take his back like most people do. And once Gunner's on your back, it's all over. Seems very easy. But I feel like this is a trap line. So it's big favorite. Gunner probably goes on a ton of your parlays. Gunner busts a bunch of your parlays. Now, for the purpose of the show, I don't know if I got the colonies to bet Brian Barbarena. I really don't. But if I was going to bet this minus 320, minus 350 price tag on Gunner Nelson, like I think I would have it way low. Like I'm seeing something I don't like here, smelling something I don't like here. May still get the win, but for this price point, I have zero confidence in him. Yeah, you'd be lucky to. It's like it. It came back down. It was at minus four hundred and minus three fifty five, which is the price that we've got on our board right now. Is the best market uh, market wide. Uh, we record this on a Wednesday late afternoon, so um, yeah, like there's a lot of question marks with Gunny. Um, yeah, not a, not a fight I'm really excited to get to. To be perfectly honest, he could make it look really easy, get the takedown, find a submission and like, you know, it's but it's you know pre-flop. It's really, really tough to know how it's all going to shake out. Uh, moving on down, we've got King Casey O'Neill taking on Jennifer Maya. Minus 180 on O'Neill plus 155 for Maya. Who you got? Yeah, I'm done betting women's MMA. I think people uh, realize my track record is not all that good. I've never been us. all that good, One but especially us. lately. <laughs> especially lately. And my man Pat May always tries to. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I got to work at at Fight Network, so uh, I'll, I'll most definitely be watching. And I'd be a liar if I didn't say I didn't have a few bucks on it. But, uh, come on, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Why do I keep doing this to myself? So if you go back even, I hedged out, thank God. But Jessica Andrade goes ahead and blows one. She almost blew a huge one. But I, whatever. Because I hedged, I wasn't mad about it. But I could have got burned pretty good there. And then Shevchenko, uh, I did have hedged more. 
I should have hedged more. Uh, I got a little stupid with that one because it was minus 850, easiest hedge in the world. So I should have just made it a 50-50 split. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Could have, should have, would have. Shevchenko loses. And then you see last week with J.J. Aldrich, like, you know, Pat's always been so on the money on this, like, just take take the underdog. And so here's actually a case where the underdog's live, for sure. Not even just Pat's theory, but also the underdog's live. Casey is very pretty. I think part of that is she's very marketable. She talks a good game. You can sell a lot of tickets with her. Uh, she's got a very bright future. She's young in the game. So the UFC marketing machine's certainly behind her. The fans are behind her. She's going to take favorite status over probably a lot of the girls in the division. Is that warranted? Maybe not, but she's going to take favorite status. So just right in that in itself, I think that there's a built-in value to Jennifer Maya. When you look at Casey O'Neill, young in the game, but it's been kind of half, not struggling, but uh, we'll go back two fights back to uh, the Antonina Shevchenko fight, right? Struggles in the first round, grappling. Well, not grappling, but, you know, not looking particularly good against Antonina Shevchenko till she gets going. The last fight against Roxanne Modafferi, giant favorite, right? Um, decent performance, but... Again, you see where Roxanne Modafferi, of all people, it should not have been a split decision. I'm not sure which judge gave it for Roxanne Modafferi, but you're seeing where Casey O'Neill is still green and is still learning. With Jennifer Maya, she's fought at the highest level. She's fought for a world title. She won the first round against Valentina Shevchenko, a prime version of Valentina Shevchenko. But furthermore, she seems to struggle against girls that are just super fast and will stay to the outside for 15 full minutes. Like She's just too slow and plodding to catch Caitlin Chukagian. She's too slow in plotting to catch a Manofioro. But if you're going to stand in front of her and engage her, if you want to grapple her a little bit in the clinch even, you're going to have a lot of success. So you saw in her last fight against uh, Marina Moroz, comes in as a big underdog, and uh, shows you that she's a solid veteran, can strike, has some durability, strong in the clinch, you know, good fighter. Now, Casey O'Neill stylistically gets the takedowns probably. And if you get the takedowns, you establish top control over Jennifer Maya, you're fine. You're going to win the fight. So stylistically, I like Casey's style. I think that style is going to win the fight. But again, if you go back to the fact that she's young, she's blossoming, she's going to have a career setback here pretty soon. They're pushing her further fast along. And you can't just jump up from fighting, you know, the Shayna Dobsons of the world and the Roxanne Montefiore's of the world to fighting a credible former title challenger in Jennifer Maya. And Jennifer Maya's got the plus money price tag on her. So Women's MMA being what women's MMA is, but dogs always got a shot. And this one seems like a, a classic fight where underdogs got a solid shot and probably comes through. So I, I think I'm going to take Jennifer Maya. Will I lose this one because I'm taking the underdog now? Yeah, probably. But long-term, Pat Mayo's strategy has been the most effective strategy I've ever seen in my life. And so <laughs> I've just got to trust the gods on that one. I'm going to take Casey O'Neill, But like I, minus 180, I don't want to get involved because I think... There will be some really, really greasy spots. That Roxanne fight, like, she gets taken down twice. She only attempts two takedowns on her own. I think she was going into that fight saying, I'm taking on a striker that, you know, doesn't really pose too much of a threat to me, at least on the feet. And she didn't really show the grappling chops that we've seen a lot of most of her big time success. Now, a lot of that success was against Shayna Dobson. Don't get me wrong. Um even Laura Procopio, the first round, Procopio lights her up. And then the second round, Procopio cramps up. Yep. Went on a period. I don't want to talk any more about that one ever again. But uh, yeah, I mean, she did not look good in the first round. Shevchenko fight, she looked a little bit better, I suppose, but still did not look good in that fight. Roxanne Montefiore fight, I, I didn't think she looked good. It's just you're fighting the most winnable opponent. Well, I shouldn't say most winnable opponent. Roxanne sprung a few upsets in her day. But still, it's like they've been tailor-made for her to look good. Maya, it's hard to look good against her. But 
Uh, that's 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 fair. I would take it you up. Did we do a shoey bed last week? Yeah, yeah. Did you, 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 didn't, you didn't. You owe me a shoey, but you know, or you were on vacation. We can do it later on in the show. Whatever. Okay, All yeah, I was gonna yeah, say is, yeah, yeah okay. two hundred and like what, two hundred and twenty-three significant strikes, two hundred twenty-nine significant strikes through almost four hundred significant strikes. I think it's dicey. I'll tell you. I'll tell I think you it's something. dicey. If you go, <laughs> can I finish you go to a the sentence? Gym, sorry. Yeah, my bad. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I just think that, like, it's going to be very, very, very dicey. I think Jennifer Maya has some some significant skill advantages here. But, like, if you're throwing that much volume in women's MMA and she actually commits to the takedowns this time out, Maya was taken down five times by Shevchenko. She was taken down um, at least twice, twice by Jessica I, twice by Manon Fioro. I think there's definitely a path here. I don't mind Casey O'Neill over two and a half takedowns on prize picks. Don't love it, but don't mind it. Um, and I think she can win on volume, but I think it's going to be one of those fights that like, if you lay the minus 180, your, your butt's definitely puckered until the final bell. Take it away. No, no, dude, that's absolutely fair, man. We'll leave it at that. Good. All right, moving on down. We got Marvin Vittori taking on Roman Delitz. Uh, Marvin Vittoria, minus 270 favorite Roman can be had for plus 230. Who you got here? Uh, Marv or Mad Marv or Mr. Steal Your Girl? Yeah, so this is the one that I probably put too high up on the card this week and take a beating on. But I think Marvin Vittori wins this fight, man. I like Marvin Vittori. Roman Delete's as big and strong and powerful as he is. He's more of like a comeback kid. He's more of a like, you know, spark a guy really quick. I don't know that he's going to fight this full 15 minutes. And again, you can go back to spots where he fights Trevin Giles for full 15 minutes and it's unbelievably awful bog of a fight. His next fight with Lirano Steropoli, an absolutely terrible bog of a fight. Where he's fighting a man half his size, almost exclusively in the clinch, and he just can't do anything. This guy's not a world-class grappler. He's not a world-class striker. I just really don't think he's all that good. Then he gets Kyle Daukas, and boom, wouldn't you know, just walks right through Kyle Daukas, knocks him out. First round KO. Damn. Kyle Daukas is a little bit chinny for the record, but it's a nice knockout win for Roman Delitz. You're not going to take that away from him. And then they give him Phil Hawes. Second fight, he's coming in as an underdog. Second fight where he's taking on a guy who's pretty chinny. And he just walks right through Phil Haas. And the same thing, he bombs him with a beautiful KO. So, yeah, okay, I, I don't know how much I can put into that at a world-class level. He knocked out a couple gatekeeper fringe, fringe top 15 guys, all likelihood top 20, top 25 guys who have durability issues. Maybe Roman Delitz can stand and defeat those guys with the quick first-round KOs. But how would he strike for a prolonged 15 minutes? Anyways, it doesn't matter. They book him against Jack Hermanson. This is a legitimate test, right? Jack Hermanson wins the first round. Jack Hermanson's looking like the better fighter. That second round, man, I mean, call it what you want to call it, but a beautiful setup to calf slicer, to just nasty ground and pound, never lets him off the hook, finds a beautiful spot, executes, puts him away. It's high-level shit. I can't sit here with a straight face and, and you know, badmouth him and say, oh, damn, got lucky. It was, it was dope. It was dope. Same time. It was just one of those positions. How many times have you ever seen it? How many times is it ever going to happen again? He's losing the fight. Does not look like the better grappler than Jack Hermanson. The striking is nowhere to be found. Takedown defense isn't there for him. And he just gets one of those spots. So, yeah, he's live to finish, guys. The issue with Marvin Vittori is who's planning on finishing this guy? Like, he is durable, man. His head is just filled with cement. He can take one hell of a shot. 
His submission defense is pretty solid. His wrestling solid. His cardio solid. His striking solid. I wouldn't say he's great in any one area, but he's also too good to be called a generalist, right? He's generally good at everything, but he's he's a little bit better than just generally good. He's pretty solid. He's a top three guy in the world, a top five guy in the world. So where will he make the mistake for Roman Delis to capitalize? Because that's what Delis needs is a mistake. He's not going to outpoint him over 15. He needs to capitalize on one mistake. So is he going to take Marvin Vittori down? I don't see it happening. Is he going to submit Marvin Vittori off his back? I, I, I don't see it happening. Is he going to clip Marvin Vittori and knock him out? It, this is MMA. It's certainly possible. And the way I'm talking right now saying it's not going to happen, maybe it's going to happen. I just don't see it, man. I don't. So I feel like Vittori's got him beat out everywhere he wants it. If he wants to stand and strike with him, he's going to outvolume him. He's going to beat him. He's going to push him backwards towards the cage. If he clinches up with him, I feel like he's the more active guy. If he wants to take him down and ground and pound him, I feel like he can do that. If he gets taken down, he's good enough to get back up to his feet. If this thing goes 15, he's got the cardio to do it. If he beats him sometime in the first or second round, great. He's not really the most potent finisher, so that one I don't see as being like the most likely outcome. Probably more of a decision kind of performance. But again, the way Delete's fights, it's kill or be killed. Yeah, maybe... Maybe he goes out on his shield and, and, and allows Marvin Vittori to pull something. But yeah, minus 270 doesn't sound great. Uh, it isn't great money line pricing wise. But yeah, some of these favorites you're going to have to trust. We can't just not trust anybody ever again because we've been burnt in the past. I get it. Got to pull the trigger on some guys. At 270, I don't think the price tag's all that bad. I feel like Marvin Vittori gets the win here. I think Marv wins. I think Marv wins by decision. I'm interested. The, the only question is like, does he avoid it? But like the two, the one and a half takedowns on prize picks, that looks pretty ripe. Like he doesn't even necessarily have to spend his whole game plan trying to get takedowns. Maybe just like secure the end of rounds by getting a takedown. Now that's me hoping Marv does the really smart thing. And like I love Marv. I think he's pretty hilarious character. But I don't know if he's the sharpest book or sharpest tool in the shed. Um, but yeah, Marv' decision is like minus one twenty out there. Definitely has my interest. Um, Delete's never been finished. Marv is kind of... I mean, Marv could fight at range in this fight and probably triple him up on strikes. Like, Delete's is a very, very... It's a kill. It's a kill or not even be killed. He hasn't been killed um, in any of his MMA fights. But his volume is so low that it's like somebody's just gonna... An elite fighter should be able to do what Jack Hermanson did and extend it over the course of 15 minutes. So, yeah, I'm with you. Vittori, Vittori by decision definitely has my interest this week. we got Jack Shore taking on Makwan Amir Khani. Speaking of somebody who cannot fight 15 minutes. Um, Jack Shore, a minus 500 favorite. Makwan can be had for plus 270. I mean, Shore moving up to 145 here after getting absolutely killed by... Ricky Simon. I was pretty surprised by Ricky Simon's performance there. That guy's really came a long way. Um, really made it look easy against Shore. Maybe Shore had a really bad cut because now he's up at 145 here. It's going to be dicey in round one because Maquan can cause some problems. He's got a lot of skills, but the guy's cardio falls off of a cliff. I'm going to pick Jack Shore here, um, but... At minus 500, it's like I don't really think there's much meat on the bone pre-flop. The hope is that you get out of round one and then you get like more of like a minus 200 type of situation on Jack Shore. So Shore will be the pick for me. But yeah, this if it goes to decision, it could be pretty greasy. And I haven't looked it up yet, but 
Sure, late props could be uh, could be a money maker this uh, this week. I'll look it up while you uh, break break down the rest of the fight there, Code. Yeah, this one again also does feel a little bit trappy, but what you can fall back on is Macklon Americani is just a one round guy, and you've seen it in the last two weeks now. These guys that are good one round fighters, they've been falling off the cliff pretty hard, and the live bet has definitely been on the table. So either he does what he normally does in victory which is get a first round, maybe mid to late second round submission victory, or he's going to fall apart. I'm feeling the ladder is going to happen. I don't think he's going to consecutively, consistently get takedowns. If he does get the takedowns, Jack Shore is going to make him work. That's the thing with Macron Americani. He doesn't like to work for a prolonged period. The thing is, is that he can get takedowns on pretty much whoever. Like he was a high level Finnish wrestler. If you match him up against another strong wrestler, not going to have no success. If you match him up with somebody that, is you know a little bit vulnerable he'll get some easy takedowns he'll get some early takedowns certainly and when i look at jack shore he gave up a couple of takedowns to timor valiev and he gave up those takedowns to ricky simone obviously both guys being at 130 pounds so macwan americani at 145 pounds early the takedown should be on the table once he gets the fight to the ground what happens is guys immediately just want to explode and get back up you don't want to give up time he doesn't feel all that strong so you try to explode back up and when you do you give up your neck that's what he latches on to so again, seeing Jack Shore not only just lose for the first time, seeing Jack Shore get taken down, seeing Jack Shore get submitted, does make you wonder that maybe if Mac got a good bite on the neck, could he maybe not grab onto a Nanaconda, Dars, guillotine choke, something of that nature early in that first round live? And because it's live for the straight up money line play on Jack Shore, it does feel a little bit trappy. Not so much, but I think you've seen the blueprint written up on Macwan Amirakani, which is extend this guy and make him work. And that's what I love about Jack Shore. He's tough, durable for the most part, and he generally makes you work. It's high work rate type fights. So if Macwan Amirakani does not submit him in the first round, which of course is like a low percentage chance, not low percentage chance, like it's not going to happen. Low as in on the probability scale. Yeah, it could happen, but not the most likely outcome. I would say the most likely outcome is Jack Shore and him fighting a competitive first round. He tires him out. Second round, he's going to have to start carrying Jack Shore's weight. This fight stays standing. Macwan Americani, other than some rinky dick kicks from the outside, doesn't really have anything to fall back on. Shore should just be able to walk him down. The thing is, is when you fight a game plan, which is evade, 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 kick, 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 evade, 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 score a couple takedowns, and who knows what happens if it hits the scorecard. So Jack Shore's got to fight with a sense of urgency, tire this man out, really beat him definitively get the decision victory and walk away. Or like you said, a late round finish. I can see it. Uh, Macklemon Americani's had durability issues purely when he gets gassed out. And you saw that in his last fight with Jonathan Pierce. That was the worst he ever looked because even though he got a few takedowns, he just couldn't do nothing with it. And he got massively tired the more he had to grapple, and massively tired the more he had to exchange with him and all of these uh, you know, constant movements, constant explosions, constant scrambles. There's just nothing left be desired. Jack Shore's got the kind of cardio to replicate that same game plan. But at this money line, it's like, I, you know, I don't want to just hope he's made those corrections. I don't want to just hope he's better at 145. I don't want to just hope it was just some bad weight cut. And I don't got to worry about it. Like, I got to see some results first. So I don't feel super confident about it. But instead of flipping and taking the dog here, uh, I will go with Jack Shore. And I would hope that there's better options on Jack Shore round three out there because the only book that has it is like plus 500. And you don't make any money betting round three props at plus 500. Like that's, you need wider props than that. The book that opens these things like tends to be pretty, uh, pretty stingy. I can't really blame them. 
Um, I do see that, like some people have moved in, and I don't hate that look. If you were going to go down the Macwan Macwan route, uh, round one sub for Macwan, it moved from plus eight fifty to plus seven fifty. So obviously, some people are taking uh, taking the shot. That's probably a lot of Macwan's win probability is in that first round. But yeah, we we both like Shore, but we hate minus five hundred. Um, probably a better live entry. All right, we got Omar Morales taking on Chris Duncan. Minus one ten on both sides. Who you got? I feel like I'm. I feel like I want to lean towards Omar Morales. I feel like him at his best is going to be able to fight like a you know a sound game plan. You stand his ground, counter punch, land that one big shot, and hopefully put uh, Chris Duncan away. But yeah, that's him at his best, and he just doesn't fight like he doesn't throw enough. You know me. We do the show every week. We've been friends for over a decade. We've been talking fights for over a decade. Like I like volume. I like volume. Even if you're not the biggest power puncher. You got to be able to go and work your opponent, and uh, I, I just I don't see it out of Omar Morales. There's no real sense of urgency. He just kind of stands there and allows it to happen. He dropped down to 145 briefly, and here's a guy that had big power at 55. On the regional scene, he dices dudes at 55. On the contender series, big knockout at 155. In the UFC, after that, like for the most part, it's like he doesn't show any power, and now he's not showing no power and no volume. What are you really doing? He allows himself to just sit on the outside and get chopped up. It's fight with Giga Chikots. I give him a pass because it's Giga Chikots, but he just he never engaged him. He never engaged him. He sat there. He allowed himself to get kicked at distance. He got dropped, seriously hurt, bad a couple times in that fight. He perseveres. But you give him a pass because it's a world-class opponent. This fight with Shane Young, eh, it's just a very low-volume performance against a guy that's had very little success in the UFC. In fact, very no success in the UFC. I think he won one fight. Uh it's a low-level performance at 145. Omar Morales, no volume. The next two are the same thing. Jonathan Pierce takes him down six times, ragdolls him, but at least Jonathan Pierce is a top guy. And then that last fight with Euros Medic, he goes back to 155. He proceeds to throw no punches, and at, he'd never been knocked out. He'd never been, you know, finished. He was a guy that at least had that durability. Euros Medic, of all people, who's kind of herky-jerky, just plows him one in the second round, knocks him out. Nice shot. But how does Omar come back from that? Because he's not young. This is a man that's 37 years old, okay? Young in terms of he hasn't really fought that much in the UFC, but 37 years old. He tried 45, didn't work out. Back to 55, not working out. The volume's not there. The power's not there. What could you possibly like about this guy? Well, what I like about this guy is that Chris Duncan just seems to find getting punched in the face. Mm -hmm. You could throw the punch 10 feet to the left, and he could be 10 feet to the right, and it's going to hit him. Like This guy is just there to get hit, man. And when you watch his fight with uh, Vlachislav Borchev on the Contender Series, like he gets murdered. For the record, he was, uh, oh, I, they say, only slight favorite. I remember you know, the book being kind of high up on him, but Duncan gets smoked by Borchev. It was like a nasty KO, right? He stood in front of him. He got hit by everything that was thrown. On the regional scene, he'd get away with it. Now that you're taking on a decent power puncher, can't get away with it. In his last fight against Charlie Campbell, again, second appearance on the Contender Series, he's getting whopped, man. He is getting his ass kicked. And then he, he pulls it out. And he, he makes it happen for himself. That's just, I can't, well, how could you get behind that against Omar Morales? Because even though Omar's not all that good, he is out of Killcliffe FC, formerly, you know, the home of the Black Zillions. He does have some of the best training partners in the game. He does got Henry Hoof. Sure to God that they've watched tape on Chris Duncan. Sure to God that they'll have a game plan that involves around, this dude's going to come after you. He's going to try to out-volume you because Duncan's got the volume advantage. Duncan, has he's going to throw his hands a little more. He's going to throw kicks a little bit more. So that game plan of sitting and waiting for that one big punch, it's not been working for Omar Morales. 
but I'll be damned if it might not work right here. It could work, right? Sit, wait for the right punch, hurt Duncan. And then what often happens with these guys that have that big power but don't throw is as soon as they do get you hurt, it turns on for them. And like, oh, shit, I got him hurt. They'll pounce. That's what he needs to do here. Show some aggression, pounce, backs up against the wall. UFC likely cuts him if he loses. Show some sense of urgency. And if he does, he's got the power, I think, to clip Duncan and put him away. So I don't really don't want to bet this thing. Of course, if you try to make a 15-fight parlay, it's going to end up on the parlay at some point. But I think it's way not at the bottom. It's not the PRP pick, but it's probably going to be on the second last line. And uh, it's going to be Omar Morales. Yeah, Omar Morales for me as well for a lot of the same points. Like it's just I don't think Chris Duncan is UFC caliber. Not that UFC caliber really means the same thing these days, but um, wasn't very impressed with much of what he did on the Contender series. He's a brawler, and Omar Morales used to be super super durable. That was kind of one of the things that went about him after obviously getting knocked out against Euros Medich last time out. Maybe there's some questions there. Um, but yeah, better training camp. The only question is like if this goes to a decision, definitely super, super greasy because the fans are obviously going to be behind, um, you know, Scottish, Scottish uh, Chris Duncan in this spot. And Omar Morales, I don't know if he's the greatest finisher, but it should be fireworks. Uh, it's probably relatively right at a, at a pick em type of price. Um, Omar Morales for me as well. We got Sam Patterson taking on Yanal Ashmov. Minus 270 for Patterson, plus 230 for Ashmov. Who you got? I guess Sam Patterson, but like you got to watch the weigh-ins on this one for no other reason than how comical it is seeing Sam Patterson against pretty much anybody in the sport at 155 pounds. He's six foot three, man. He's six foot three with a 78 inch reach. Effectively, he's going to have a 10 inch reach advantage over uh, Yanal Ashmov. And uh, whereas being tall obviously has its advantages, the disadvantage would be getting taken down, you know, having guys fight on the inside. And I'm not going to lie, Sam Patterson fights super tall, like up in the air. He'll let you on the inside, he'll let you in on his hips to shoot. But damn, this boy can kind of do it all. He's got a nasty front choke. He's got a good guillotine. He's long. He's rangy. He actually does brawl well from tight quarters, despite the fact that he's got such long arms. I think he moves right quite well. Um, one of the Fight Network properties, Invicta FC, obviously, but uh, one of the other shows that we play is uh, is Brave CF, Combat Federation. And Sam Patterson's the man over there. He kicks a lot of ass. So very familiar with him. He's fought an excellent level of competition. Okay, Felipe Silva is a UFC veteran. Knocks him out in the first round. Yves Dejour is, is, is honestly a very solid, credible veteran from France. And again, it's a good workman, unanimous decision. Camille Magomedov chokes him out in the second round. This Kunkar Pashev Gamaseev punches him out in the second round. Vinicius Sensi, his last time out, submits him in the second round. He's super well-rounded, man. He can strike. He can grapple. He's got good cardio. I really do like what I see out of Sam Patterson. I think he was a solid signing by the UFC. Uh, obviously, once he won the Contender Series, Shows you that he can handle it, signs the contract, and then thinks this is going to be a not coming out party for him, but a good solid UFC debut. You know, Ashmov, six and zero, five foot nine. Uh, he's going to try to get on the inside. It seems like he can wrestle. It seems like he can brawl. The thing is, is that his wrestling is not elite. His takedowns aren't all that good. Could I see him getting Sam Patterson down? Possibly, but I think he's going to fight way too hard to have to get it. Once he does get the fight to the ground, I believe he is a BJJ black belt. But again. Grappling not good enough, I don't think, to hold Patterson down for a prolonged period. Grappling not good enough to just 
pick up a flash submission. What is going to happen is he's either going to take a beating trying to get to the inside, or he's going to get to the inside after a beating, take him down, and all that work is going to be outdone by Sam Patterson returning to his feet and then putting it on him again. So I actually do like Sam Patterson. The tricky situation here, though, is that he's a minus 270 favorite in his UFC debut. That's not something I love getting myself into just because you're getting get jitters. You're going to get all these different things. He's not really like ex- he's experienced on the brave combat Federation circuit, but he's not experienced at the highest level, but man, what does Ashmov got a PFL challenger series fight where he fought Dennis Hughes to a decision? Like, come on. I think Sam Patterson's fought leaps and bounds, better guys putting on better performances could be one of these guys that wins doesn't win every single exchange doesn't win every single minute of the round but i think ultimately does get the win is going to be higher up on the tickets this week but again 270 you should feel great about it the reality is don't want him on the top ticket because it's a ufc debut second ticket maybe but in all likelihood probably third ticket just because of those unknowns Yashimov's undefeated you know probably does get a takedown or two i would think uh i just think at the end of the day patterson's the the rightful winner yeah, that all that all makes sense. I mean, I was looking for an underdog in this spot and watched his PFL fight and Ashmov's PFL fight, and really, I didn't see all that much there. It seems pretty clear why he's why he's here. He's somebody to you know to try to add another star in the UK in front of the you know in front of the fans. I didn't see too much from Ashmov, who's giving up. Yeah, as, as you said, tons of size. Like, Patterson's absolutely enormous. There is some action coming in on Ashmov right now, but it won't be me. Uh, Patterson's the pick, but minus, two seven, minus 270. New thank you. All right, we got Mohamed Mikhaev taking on Jafel Filio. Minus 800 for Mikhaev. Plus 550 for Filio. I mean, Mikhaev... Got tested against Malcolm Gordon last time out. Like, he's obviously a young, promising prospect with great uh, takedown abilities. And the improvements are going to consistently, you know, we're going to see more and more improvements from this guy. Like, I think he's a solid. I've I've decided, I think in, I don't think I actually even did it against Malcolm Gordon, but I've decided I'm going to stop. You know, fading like I did it against Durden, um, and I looked like a complete moron for doing it. It's like I'm gonna stop stepping in front of the train, particularly with Jafel Filio here, because Filio was on Contender Series. I faded Johnny and was on his opponent, and that was a really, 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 really close fight um, for for most of it. I wasn't very impressed by what he brought to the table. Uh, but mine is 800. I, I mean, what are we really supposed to do with it at this point with Mikhaev? Mikhaev will be the pick. I have no idea how to bet this fight, though. What about you? Yeah, yeah. How do you approach it, right? Mikhaev wins the fight, minus 800. Can't bet it money. Can't bet it on a straight ticket. Okay, well, do you add it to parlays? Yeah, sure. But, like, at what point do you add it? At what point does it add the value to your parlays? And what is the risk-reward point? Like, how much does he add for the fact that you, he, if you watch the Brave fights, right, he looked awful against Blaine O'Driscoll, but he wins. So now it's like, ooh, I think I could fade this guy. And Yeah, the last fight was Malcolm Gordon. He looked like he was about to lose, and then boom, third round armbar. Uh, it was 1-1. Like, he wins the first round, just doesn't look great doing it, but wins the first round. Second round, yeah, he gives up some bad spots, right? He can get, he can slip up. He can get out grappled. I don't think, when you think about these cast iron 
Dagestani Russians, these, these Chechenian Russians, these Igneshechenia Russians, these mountain folk from northern Essentia that are going to absolutely beat the crap out of you. Cardio has got to be like one of those things. You got to just be able to go forever. They can wrestle. We know they can wrestle, but chain wrestling requires, you know, a lot of energy and you've got to be able to do it for 15 full minutes. What Kayev's thing is he's born there. He's from there. He has that. It's just, you know, he's been living in the UK. He's been living in England. So how many training partners are pushing him? How, how much did he switch to the European level instead of just like the all Russian level? How much can he keep it up? Malcolm Gordon fight. He looked lost at times. He looked tired at times. He looked like he's very much in a lot of vulnerable spots. Think about how young this kid is. God damn. He can make all the mistakes in the world because he's young. He's learning on the job. And I would say that you learn a whole lot from fighting Malcolm Gordon. The fight before that, he, he takes down Charles Johnson like nine times, ten times. Beats Charles Johnson. For the record, Charles Johnson pretty good and excellent at getting back up to his feet. Malcolm Gordon should have been a walk in the park. But Malcolm Gordon's still a savvy veteran with decent enough kickboxing, terrible chin, but decent enough kickboxing credentials and a legitimate BJJ black belt. So in some ways, he tests him. What's the kid do? He submits the legitimate BJJ black belt. So kudos to him. When I see this fight against Jafel Filo, I don't know what Jafel Filo has to present that the other guys did it. Like his takedown defense isn't as good as uh, isn't as good as prior Makayev opponents. I think he's getting taken down. Charles Johnson's getting taken down. Filo's getting taken down. In terms of him off his back, from the tape that I've seen, I don't think he's got enough of a submission game off his back to catch him clean in something. And so could he win a striking exchange? Sure. Could he win a prolonged striking exchange? Maybe. But is Makayev going to just strike with him all night? No. The kid's going to shoot. You know he's going to shoot. So the million-dollar question is, Philo going to stuff the takedowns? And I just I don't think he's going to. Mm -hmm. So as you're saying, how do we approach this thing? Minus 800. Well, what's the most likely prop that probably going to happen here? It seems like Philo could get submitted. I don't think his submission defense is great. Makayev's obviously going to be attacking with chokes. He's going to be attacking the arm. He's going to be attacking all the way through the fight. But I think I want to say Philo is going to be able to defend. He defended a couple submission attempts by Roybert on the Contender Series. Not that Roybert's you know, some grappling wizard, but I feel like he's competent enough to get out grappled, but not necessarily get submitted. And with Makayev, he needs ring time. He doesn't need these quick finishes. And I think he's starting to realize that is that he needs to fight a little more composed. He's getting a little more mature. So if I had to gun to my head, pick a prop, I'm feeling like Makayev by decision. But that being said, you know, he flying knees Cody Durden in the face and, you know, grabs the neck and you know, he does fight a little bit reckless at times. He just come off a win over a black belt by third round armbar in a position that it looked like he was about to end up with Gordon on top of him and mm -hmm. boom, he snatches up a, an armbar. So he's going to make mistakes, but the problem is, is that he's still going to be dangerous the entire fight. And so I don't like betting prop prop bets like that, decision prop bets on guys that are going to be fighting hard the entire time. And because he's so young, it's not going to be crazy to think that he's not going to develop rapidly and get a lot better fight to fight. So... Makayev is just going to have to be straight up added to the parlays. Again, at his price point, you would think first top two tickets. I just don't know if it adds enough. So he'll be on there at some point. I just don't know where. Not at the top because he's not the most trustworthy guy going, but fairly at the top because I think this is a good winnable fight for him. Yeah, Makayev by submission is like plus 100 out there. It's obviously very, very limited um, in terms of the number enough. of books offering props. And then him inside the distance can be had for like minus 130. So it's like, it's one of those spots that's like, don't chase, don't chase the prop at plus 100 when it could be one of those types of situations where he tries to get submissions and then goes to mount and like pounds him out. If you were going to go the inside the distance route here. Um, yeah, I think 
he's so young. It's volatile. Minus 800. It's like it's it's really tough knowing exactly what to expect from him. Fight in and fight out. The the question becomes, what's this kid like in like three or four years from now? And I I, I still think that he's going to be um, pretty talented, um, but that remains to be seen. We've got Lerone Murphy taking on Gabriel Santos. Minus 185 for Lerone Murphy. Plus 160 for the former LFA champ. Uh, Santos, who's coming in on short notice. Uh, you got a hot take here, bud? No, well, I'd, say I'd like to just say Lerone Murphy's a legitimate fighter that beats him. And uh, I like Lerone Murphy because all those facts are true. And maybe that he doesn't beat him. That one remains to be seen if it's true. But I really much like Lerone Murphy. Thing is, Lerone Murphy on a 16-month layoff. Like, I just don't know what's he been up to. Has he been hurt? Has he been... Is he is he into it? Is he making progression? Because him at his best, I've always thought he's a pretty talented guy. I tried to take a sniff on him versus Zuberto Hugov. He was a plus two forty five underdog in his UFC debut in the first round. <laughs> he got uh, he got beat pretty sadly in the first round. Second and the third round, man, he comes right back. He starts stuffing the takedowns. He moves very nice laterally. Uh, good footwork, good kicks. Not the highest output guy, but very precise with his striking. When's the second and third rounds against Zuberto Hugov? I was a huge underdog in his UFC debut and settled for a draw. Since then, it's been money, right? Ricardo Ramos, people seem to like that guy. No, way too sloppy, leaves too many openings. Laurel Murphy, first round knockout. Again, very precise with his counter punching. Uh, the fight with Douglas Diandraj. Y'all seen Douglas Diandraj the way this guy's cut up? He's a problem for anybody. Simple fact that he's massively jacked. He's got a decent amount of experience. Stands his ground, he swangs and bangs. Laurel Murphy, again, I mean, he, he's a smart fighter. Uh, I think he I think he has high ring IQ. I think he makes the right choices. He's not going to be the most entertaining guy. He's not going to be the biggest fan friendly, uh, you know, oh, my God, I must see television. But I think he's going to fight the winning strategies and win fights. His fight with Makwan Mirakani, nice big knockout. So now he's got two knockouts in his last three fights. Right. Which is impressive. But also he's fine. Good level of competition. Makwan Amirakani still cutting it. Douglas Diandraj is a very serviceable veteran. Ricardo Ramos, eh, I don't like him personally, but again, the guy's hacking a job at the UFC, right? Fight some decent enough guys. Missing away, whatever. Uh, I, I feel like Lerone Murphy is a good fighter. 31 years old. He's not old. It's the 16th month layoff. It's the, you know, he pulls out of the Nate Landwehr fight. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's coming in in great shape. I don't know if he's made much improvements. And with Gabriel Santos, there's enough, unknowns hey, he's 10 and 0 he's a former you know lfa champion he, he's fought somewhat recently the bottom line is i like laurel murphy i thought he was a good fighter before the layoff at 31 years old i don't think he's washed i think he's probably still a good fighter and zuberto hugov cast iron russian decent you know solid wrestling makwan amir khani former finnish national champion in wrestling solid wrestling he's had to wrestle those guys santos is not on the same level he won't get the takedowns I think that Murphy just moves laterally, stays out of the way, sticks and moves, lands the more precise shots, and uh, eventually wins the fight. So eventually, you're going to have to suffer that first loss, Lerone Murphy or Santos. I think it's going to be Santos picking up his first career loss here. And uh, props to him for making his UFC debut in a week's notice, but this is a tough spot against the hometown English fighter who's on a solid roll and uh, you know a decent fighter overall. Um, I still have to look into Santos, so I mean... I'm not going to really bore you with a whole bunch of details because I haven't really done the research on it yet. But um, for the purpose of the show, I'll, I'll pick Lerone Murphy, but uh, that could change based on me looking up some tape and 
actually digging into it. There's 15 fights. It was uh, tough to dig into all of them. Uh, we got Christian Christian Duncan taking on uh, Dusko Todorovic. Minus 220 for Christian Duncan. Plus 185 for Todorovic. I actually started, Cody. I, I made a bet on Dushko, and then the market actually moved in that direction. So I was like, oh, this looks pretty good. And then I kind of realized, like, pretty much after I hit submit, because I was just like, oh, this is the Duncan guy. And I didn't put weight classes. It didn't really come together. I'm like, I'll beat the line movement, and then I'll make sure it's good afterwards. Then I realized we got a Chris Duncan and a Christian Duncan. And frankly, after watching some tape on Christian Duncan, who is the Cage Warriors champion, this guy actually looks pretty good, and he's been in uh, in Thailand working with Phil Haas on his grappling, the striking. Looks like a decent finisher. Douche girl, the biggest, and I, I ended up cashing out of the bet because, I mean, if if Dushko eats one big clean shot from this guy who's been spending time down in Thailand, and you know what they say about the guys that are training down in Thailand right now. Shouts to like Aaron Watershow who like. Um, who I, I believe he like posted a video or shared a video of how easy it is to get um, to get uh, to get PEDs while you're down there. Um, if you're down there, uh, I don't think Usada spends too much time down there. Dushko's chin is always a massive liability. If Dushko's not able to get the wrestling going here, I think he's getting, he's taking a canvas nap. Um, I'm going to pick Christian Duncan, who I think actually has some decent potential moving forward. Um, I think grappling can maybe be exploited, but I don't know if Dusho's got the grappling to really exploit him in this spot. And a lot of his other skills seem to be coming together quite nicely. So, um, don't know how I'm going to attack it. Maybe, maybe a Christian Duncan by knockout prop, um, can surface, uh, I haven't looked at that yet, but uh, yeah, I bet Dushko thinking it was a di- the other Duncan without thinking of like weight classes. And I was just like, okay, back up the bus, reverse. Uh, this is not this. This is good Duncan, I suppose you can say on the card. So Christian Duncan is the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I will actually take the bite on Dusko Todorovic and uh, live to regret it heavily. I'm sure I will because, yeah, his chin's usually way up in the air. It's a little bit susceptible to getting hit. doesn't have great durability. Why would you want to bet him? You probably don't. Your probably best path on this one is pass altogether. But, of course, I've been taking a lot of these favorites, so underdogs are going to come through. I feel like Dusko has a decent enough chance. Today with Christian Duncan, he's, an, he's a solid athlete. Guy is very, very athletic. He moves very, very nicely. And a lot of his finishes are these athletic moves, you know, flying knees, spinning back kicks, spinning back elbows. Uh, again, quick on his feet, got a lot of power, more than enough firepower to knock out Dusko Todorovic. Thing is, is if you watch back two fights against Dijon Milan, he's given up takedowns, quite a few of them, against a fighter from the Ivory Coast who eventually gasses out, and that's what allows him to knock him out with the flying knee in the third round. But his takedown defense isn't great. I don't think his get-up game is all that great. I feel like someone who's a decent enough grappler could give him a lot of problems. Dusko, not a very good wrestler. He went 0-4 for 4 in takedowns against Jordan Wright. Ooh, I just can't imagine he's really all that good of a wrestler. So I don't know that it's going to be as easy as Dusko just takes him down. I feel like Dusko's going to take some damage before he gets him down. And as you mentioned, Dusko probably not going to be able to take said damage before he gets the takedown. So... Probably does get knocked out. The, the issue I have is if I look at Christian Duncan, I think he's generally finishing early. 
He has a lot of big explosive movements. This is his UFC debut. He is at home. He's going to have that nerve. He's going to have that adrenaline dump. If Dusko can get on top of him, he's actually got a pretty decent top game. I believe he's a BJJ black belt, but again, he has a lot of success when he's able to get on top of opponents with his ground and pound, you know, setting up solid positions. And if Duncan's getting taken down on the regional scene in Cage Warriors by Milan, Dusko could get the fight to the ground. If he gets to the fight to the ground, I think he's going to be able to capitalize and do some serious damage. So I guess I'll take that little sniff at the dog here, but this is more more of a pass altogether, to be honest with you. And market's moving against you right now, so you probably you'll probably get a two plus two hundred, I think, by by fight night on uh, Dushko on Dusty Dushko Todorovic. Uh, I would say fight doesn't go the distance is probably your best bet. I don't know what the price is readily. Maybe you can tell me. But Duncan is a finisher. He likes to yes, finish. Chuck. He likes to go out and do whatever he can. And Dushko can't take a great shot. Flip side to that. Dusko's a finisher as well. Like he's got a potent offense. Thing is, is just like he can't take the return fire. Yeah, I mean, fight ends inside the distance. The best available right now is minus three seventy five. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's minus four twenty five, juiced from. So people are using it as a, pro, a parlay piece. It, it obviously makes sense, but uh, but yeah, they're the books are wise to the fact that Dusko's got no chin, Duncan. Uh, may have some serious grappling uh, problems here. Um, should be a banger of a fight, but uh, yeah, be very, very cautious. All right, we got Jake Hadley taking on Malcolm X Gordon. Minus 400 for Hadley, plus 300 for Gordon. Who you got here? Yeah, Hadley, Hadley inside the distance. I feel like Gordon has durability issues, uh, but if you match him up against soft opposition, then he might be able to exploit them a little bit. The issue with Hadley is that Hadley's got a significant, I would think, a significant enough boxing advantage that he keeps his fight standing. He's clipping Malcolm Gordon and putting him away. Gordon's been able to take down guys with bad takedown defense, but <laughs> Hadley's got the wrestling advantage here too. Like He's going to be able to dictate wherever he wants it. If he wants to stand with Gordon, he will, and I think he might clip him and knock him out. If he wants to take Gordon down, ground and pound him and open up for a submission, you just saw Gordon get submitted by a 20-year-old kid in Makayev. Gordon's been grappling as long as the kid's been alive and still gets submitted in the third round. A fight that he looks to be on his way to potentially winning. He's up to submission. So Hadley's going to rough him up, man. This kid's pretty solid. Uh, you saw him on the contender series, obviously, against Mitch Raposo. Mitch Raposo's solid. He is. Now, Hadley misses weight, gets in a fight with the matchmakers. There's a whole lot of drama, but he delivered in the fight itself. His debut against Alan Nassimeno, he loses, but... Alan Asimeno is a straight killer, so hard to fault him too much on that one. And then you do see him a much better version against Carlos Candelario. Candelario never been finished. C- Carlos Candelario, BJJ Black Belt. Carlos Candelario uh, it had, been, had literally been fighting against top grapplers. He, he had just went um, in his fu- on his fight on the Contender Series. He takes on like a second-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt in Ronaldo uh, Candido. And then he ta- took on Tatsura Tyra, who's an absolute terror for everybody. Went the decision with both of them. And yet Hadley subbed him with a triangle choke of all things in the second round. So I think the kid's grappling is solid. I think his striking is, you know, better than Gordon's. I think his durability is pretty okay. He's fighting at home. Weight cut should be a lot easier than it is when he's traveling stateside having to fight away from home i think this has got all the makings for a good coming up party for him gordon meanwhile serviceable gatekeeper if you should be in the ufc you'll probably knock him out in the first two rounds or submit him in the first two rounds if you you know need to go back to the drawing board yeah yeah he's gonna teach you a lesson francisco figueredo fraud he lost he lost to a guy like malcolm gordon dennis bondard certainly appeared to be a fraud 
loses to a guy like Malcolm Gordon. He's serviceable. He's there for a reason. He's going to give you some hard rounds. He's going to test you. And the guys like Makaya that still need some testing, he's, he's there for them. Hadley, I think he's a little more refined. I think he's already beaten some better guys. Like, you know, in his last, literally his last three fights have been against better guys. So I feel like this is, you know, a good making for him to go out to get in victory. So flyweights, I don't love betting big money, big money lines on, on, on flyweight fights because against kind of an unpredictable division. But uh, I think Jake Hadley's going to beat everywhere. Yeah, well, Malcolm Gordon or Malcolm Gordon is like a is a black belt in BJJ, but he's been subbed twice in the UFC. Triangle choke loss to Amir Albazi, uh, obviously against Makayev. He did a like based on what the odds were, had a much better showing in that fight, um, and then obviously got submitted in the last uh, thirty seconds or so. Um, that was. That saved probably a whole bunch of Makayev inside the distance betters um, that night. Because I imagine a lot of people were thinking, you know, super, super chinny. I haven't really seen like the, the, you know, the power in the hands from Jake Hadley. Maybe I'm completely missing the boat there. I'm kind of more interested in taking like the plus money side of like fight goes to the to decision in this fight. I think Hadley wins, but... And we'll see where the markets go over the course of the week. I may end up on Hadley by decision, which is plus 400 and growing um, right now. When more books open up, we'll see uh, We'll see where that market goes because I'm not convinced that he's just going to go out there and bomb on him. Like, Sue Maderji was able to land one, but, like, Sue Maderji hits, like, a truck. Haven't quite seen it from Hadley um, outside of, like, early, early regional scene type of fights. I think he can grapple, take him down, hold him down at will. I don't know if he's got the same submission skills that I've seen from those other guys. And that that kind of was echoed in the Nascimento fight where he was out you know, he was outmatched by a really, really elite grappler in Nascimento. And that's where he showed some holes in his game. At plus 400, maybe we get a plus 500 based on where the markets are going. Maybe worth a little sprinkle on Hadley, who's at home. Anything close will probably go to him. That's probably where my money will go if I attack this fight. We got Joanne Wood taking on Luana Carolina. Joanne dropped the wood or dropped the Calder. Is a minus one seventy favorite. Luana Carolina can be half plus one fifty. I thought Joanne Wood retired last time, which leads me to believe that if she didn't retire last time. This is 100% a retirement fight. Uh, on prize picks, they've got uh, at promo code DOP. They got 65 or 63.5 significant strikes. Love that prop. That's like my my favorite prop this week. I think that this fight goes um, 15 minutes, and when Joanne Calder, formerly Joanne Calderwood, goes the full 15, it's like she gets way, way, way over. Uh, 63 and a half significant strikes. I'll pick her to win. I'll pick her to win by decision, but that's not, you know, not exactly a super, super sharp play by any stretch of the imagination. The over in this fight is juiced to minus 350. Like, that's like the most expected outcome. But yeah, on prize picks, uh, over 63 and a half seems pretty easy. Luana Carolina, 89 significant strikes against Molly McCann. Joanne Wood, at her best times, would you know, get up close to like 150 significant strikes. Seems like 63 and a half is a very, very manageable, uh, manageable amount for her. 
Uh, I'll pick her to win by decision, but uh, we already made, we talked about it earlier, Cody. We're, we're probably avoiding a lot of these types of spots because it could be a very, very, very close decision, and I don't want to get my hand caught in the cookie jar. What's your take here? Yeah, boom, exactly, 100%. So just like we've been talking about, don't want to bet these spots, learn my lesson, should pass on this altogether. And uh, it, yeah, like the smallest part of me early was like, you know what, why not take that little, that dog shot on Luana Carolina if you're going to have to pick one side of it. Uh, Joanne Calder was an elite, an elite competitor, but yeah, 37 years old, one, one in four in her last five fights, riding on the wall, not that interested anymore. Never won a fight. As Joanne would, you know, she's won a bunch of fights as Calderwood, but winless is dropping the Calder part of her name. Yeah, I just don't know that she's all that interested anymore. I mean, her body's breaking down a little bit. She's she's prone to making these lapses in judgments and fights. Her grappling was never elite. She spent a whole lot of time working on it, but you can see she just never gets over the hump when taking on elite level grapplers. But this is Luana Carolina. She's not an elite level grappler. She's not not an elite level anything. Not striking. She's not super physical. She's not very experienced. She's not, you know, a young up and comer on on the up and up. She's just kind of, you know, again, serviceable. So I think if Joanne Wood was going to go out and win a fight, this is probably the one. It's very easy to say, oh, she's only won one fight in her last five. You know, it's very easy to see, oh, she's on a three fight losing streak. But I mean, come on. She she loses to Alexa Grasso, who's current number one girl in the uh, in the division and the champion she loses to taylor santos who's you know a top top three girl in the division former title challenger her fight with lorone with uh, lauren murphy i don't know how she lost that fight like she outstruck her like 123 to 80 split decision i really thought she won but all the same like lauren murphy's a former title challenger she only fights the best girls going so in that regard yeah yeah the results haven't necessarily been there but She's been somewhat competitive. She was outstriking Alexa Grasso. She was, you know, looking good in some spots and then eventually just makes that one mistake. Against Carolina, I just don't see it happening. Luana Carolina is giving up takedowns at will to Molly McCann. If Joanne Wood wants this fight to the ground, she can get to the ground. Her wrestling is good enough to get Carolina down. If she doesn't want to keep it, uh, take it to the ground, again, she's got the volume. She's got that traditional European Muay Thai, you know, a Scottish Muay Thai champion. Someone that spent her basically her entire youth doing Muay Thai. She's got long, nasty, rangy kicks up the middle, good teep, good front kicks, no good distant finders, but at the same time, we'll throw a decent right hand behind it as well. I feel like Luana Carolina has that rangy Muay Thai game as well. She's got long limbs. She likes to throw more of a volume-based attack, but against Joanne Wood, she's just, you know, more technical, uh, better, more experienced. She's just better all around. The one thing with Wood, though, is that, again, to go back to durability, I don't think she's someone that enjoys getting hit all that much. She's been hit a ton in her career, in her Muay Thai career, in her MMA career. And you've seen at times when she gets hit, she'll kind of not close her eyes and back up, but just she's not really readily engaging her opponent anymore. And one has to wonder at 37, like you said, you thought she retired last fight. Well, she didn't retire last fight. Well, maybe this is the retirement fight. And once you get thinking about that retirement fight, it's already over for you. And I do feel like she's very much at that point. Her her husband, John Wood, he's one of the top coaches over in Las Vegas. No doubt she's got a prosperous career as a trainer and uh, as a mentor for a lot of these young fighters in Las Vegas. She's taken some time off in between camps. You know, she's her weight has ballooned up and down. That's not a disrespect to her in the slightest bit. I just don't know that she's fully committed to being that young, hungry fighter that she once was. So uh, someone is going to clip her on the up and up. But seeing how bad Carolina's takedown defense was, seeing her 
you know, the, the Ariana Lipsky fight before Lipsky got good, like the physicality that she just lacks, seriously lacks. Uh, I she's she's there to get beaten. So I will have to take Joanne Wood reluctantly, not reluctantly because I don't want to, reluctantly because I know as soon as I bet an MMA women's MMA spot, I'm likely screwed. I just the 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 good fortunes are not on my side when it comes to the old WMMA. Yeah, and I the last thing I will say about this fight is like you know it may be tempting to try to increase your Joanne Wood uh, exposure to Joanne Wood by decision, but she's like minus one seventy to win straight up and then she's minus 135 to win by decision so it's like you know you look at the molly mccann fight against luana carolina you look at the lipsky fight not that wood has that type of grappling but it's like you see enough holes in the game that's like if you're going to attack joanne wood i would stick to the money line it's just there's not enough meat on the bone on that decision and you'll have your butt puckered uh, potentially over the course of 15 minutes, if, if you do. And you'll be asking yourself for 15 minutes, just like, why didn't I just take the money line? Like, I've been in that spot so many times. Sounds like we're both picking wood, but we're very, very tentative in that pick. We got Ludovic Klein taking on Jai Herbert. Ludovic Klein, a minus 200 favorite. Herbert can be had for plus 170. I was hoping on prize picks that they would have uh, Klein takedowns listed because I thought that would be pretty ripe. Like, they'd probably list it at, like, one and a half takedowns. And I think... The Mike Trezano game plan is what he brings to the table in this spot. Jai Herbert, last time out, Kyle Nelson. Everyone's betting the unders. Nelson hits hard. Jai Herbert doesn't have a great chin, but he can crack too. Nelson gasses, and then Herbert shows up and says, I need to keep my job. Loses round one, fights at distance for rounds two and three, squeaks by on a decision victory, which I believe he got a little bit of home cooking um, in that one. Um, I mean, Herbert's got, you know, he's very, very long, got good reach. Durability is a big question. And I think his takedown defense is a big question. Klein can probably hang out at range and strike with him, but he'd be much, much wiser. There's a guy who used to fight at 145, and I guess they both fought at 145, and now they're up at one. But I've been impressed by what, like, what I've seen with Ludovic, Ludovic Klein uh, as he's grown into that 155-pound frame. Um, I think he utilizes the wrestling early and often here and uh, and comes away like uh, decision is really tough with Herbert because, you know, Francisco Masaranduva landed one clean one and absolutely put him out. But Klein by decision, somewhat of a snooze fest. You know, takedowns, holds top control, and wins the fight like like the Trezano fight. That would probably be how I see this fight playing out. What about you? Yeah, I'm thinking Klein by knockout. To be honest with you, like when you when, when you watch tape of him on the regional scene prior to coming to the UFC, like this dude is nasty. He's got a beautiful head kick, beautiful straight left down the pipe, a solid power, and is most definitely a finisher. Signs of the UFC gets Shane Young. Shane Young's no slouch. Shane Young's fought some decent guys. And uh, he just smokes him out of the water, minute 16 seconds, like, you know, beautiful coming out party. Thing is, is that now they fast track the kid. And he's super young at the time, right? They fast track him. The fight with Mike Trezano, he could have won that fight. In fact, I think a lot of judges probably would have given him that fight. He gets four takedowns. You know, he was competitive, uh, just unfortunately, you know, gets hustled up a little bit. His fight with Nate Landwehr, dude, it's Nate the Train. Nate the Train just breaks guys down, comes forward. 
at this point though, he's still only like 26, 27 years old. Like I feel like he's still getting the hang of it. He trains with the best guys in the sport. He trains at the highest level of sport. I feel like he's starting to, you know, figure it out. It's just fighting tough competition. And you've seen that in his last two, Devontae Smith, Mason Jones. Didn't look great against Devontae Smith. Got the job done. Uh, Mason Jones fight. That's the best he's ever looked. Looks solid all around. The striking looked good. He knocked down Mason Jones. He's still got that power. He's still very dynamic. He's very athletic. His cardio is getting better. His wrestling is improving. The kid's getting more comfortable. The kid's getting more experienced. He's going to get back to his winning ways. Well, he's winning, but he's going to get back to his solid winning ways where he's going to start knocking some guys out. Now, he's taking on, he's five foot seven. He's taking on an opponent that's six foot one, which, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, damn, dude, that that's, that's a lot of size to be given up. But keep in mind, he was supposed to fight Ignacio Bahamandes. <laughs> Ignacio Bahamandes is like the biggest guy in the division. He's an absolute giant. I think Ludovic Klein is very athletic. I think Ludovic Klein likes fighting these taller guys because he's able to find those gaps in the guard and shoot straight up the middle. The best way to fight those tall guys is not to throw looping shots because they're longer than you. The, the jab is going to beat you the punch. It's firing straight up the middle, literally. And I feel like that he's a better linear fighter. And I feel like he's going to put something right up the middle and knock out Jay Herbert. Jay Herbert fought Trinaldo, who's a short little guy, who stood in his face the entire time. No ability to use the jab. No the ability to keep him off of you. Doesn't use his kicks as, as you know, distance uh, finders and able to keep your opponent at bay. Doesn't use it. Doesn't fight a tall man game. And Trinaldo walks through the guard and knocks him out. The Ilya Tapuria fight, same thing. Tapuria, much short, shorter fighter, but aggressive. Stays in his face. Comes at him. He hurts Tapuria in the first round, doesn't put him away. Second round, Tapuria just walks right through him and knocks him out with that big shot. I got a feeling that Klein puts him away. So money line, sure. Yeah, I'll bet Ludovic Klein. In terms of the prop, yeah, his last two fights have been decisions. And yeah, the guy's wrestling a little bit more. And yeah, you might just take him down and hold him down. And uh, I think this has got the recipe for a highlight reel KO for Ludovic Klein over a you know durability suspect on Jay Herbert. Yeah, I mean, the, the prop, the price on that prop right now, and obviously we do this on a Wednesday. A lot of books don't open up those props until like Thursday, some even like Friday. Um, they're actually 100% equal. They're both plus 225, so pick your poison, I suppose. Uh, finally, we got Juliana, the killer Miller, taking on Veronica Hardy, formerly Veronica Macedo. Uh, married Dan Hardy, who Dana, what like this is probably, I feel like this one's got Cody greasy theory written all over it. So I'm just going to let you take this one away. Yeah. Well, greasy theory, uh, Dan Hardy, not a good guy. And I, I don't, I, I don't know what the relationship where they met probably at a UFC fight to get married. Dan Hardy's all about breaking down techniques and you know, imagine living with this guy as irritable as he is to begin with. Like, is he coaching her now? Is he helping breaking down spots in Juliana Miller's game? Like, I don't know, but uh, it's not just me that's had bad experiences with Dan Miller. It's not just 95% of the people that interact with Dan Hardy that have had bad experiences with them. Yeah, he rubs everyone at the UFC wrong. So they release him from his contract. Surprise, surprise, no other major company has gone running to his services. No Bellator, no PFL. I think they came and he was a little guest judge. I don't think anybody's clamoring for his breakdowns. I'm sure he's got a podcast somewhere that does, you know, 37 times the numbers that my podcast does. So he's obviously cooler than me. No one's questioning that. They're questioning just like what's the relevancy of of Dan Hardy. I don't think he's relevant at all. And I think the UFC does not like him. I don't think they're going to give 
Veronica Hardy, the, the easiest fight at the gate. So she's Juliana Miller, a former uh, Ultimate Fighter champion, a girl that's got a big grappling advantage, is a lot bigger than her, probably gets this fight to the ground. Once this fight gets to the ground, Maceo's just been extremely susceptible to pretty much everybody that's taken her to the ground. So, you know, it's there for the taking. Here's the thing, though. Juliana Miller can't strike. Her striking is abysmal. Mm-hmm. So women's MMA, Paul, these big favorites are going to get in trouble because they're one-dimensional fighters. And in this case, Miller needs the takedown. She needs to get this fight to the ground. If she doesn't get this fight to the ground, extremely plausible she gets beat up from the outside. Now, when you listen to interviews from her, she's out there. She's obviously, you know, very, I don't know if hippie's the world to call her, but like she's out there, right? She's a different kind of girl. She's very confident and like, oh yeah, my striking's great. I'll stand with her. No, your striking's not great. Don't stand with her. She fights the proper game plan. I, I, I think this fight ends up on the ground. Most fights end up on the ground and Miller's got a significant advantage there. So Miller, maybe Miller by submission. But if Miller decides to, you know, work on her new profound striking, if Miller gets the awe of, oh shit, I'm used to fighting in the apex. I'm used to fighting in front of no fans. I'm used to fighting in small little, you know, regional promotions. Now I'm in England on a pay-per-view, there's a ruckus roar of the crowd. Is she not going to try to throw down? Is she not going to just maybe make a mental lapse? Is she not going to maybe not fight the best game plan for a massive favorite? Yeah, all possible. But uh, yeah, I can't get I can't get behind Hardy. Hardy to me has just always been a 115-er fighting at 135, right? Loses to Ashley Evans-Smith, undersized at 135. Lost to Andrea Lee, got taken down, ragdolled. Lost to Jillian Robertson, taken down, ragdolled. Beat Pollyanna Viana with an armbar. That one never made any sense to me because Viana is like a high-level BJJ black belt. But that's women's MMA in a nutshell, okay? Yep. One girl can't grapple, okay? One girl's a BJJ world champion. And it's an armbar from guard. In the first From minute. the girl that can't grapple. Yeah, in the first minute. Minute three seconds into the round. Like, oh, shit, maybe she does know something. She's a Taekwondo black belt. She actually moves really good. Good on Dan Hardy because she's an absolute dime piece. So he's obviously doing quite well for himself. Better than little Cody. But at the end of the day, like, the grappling is going to be the issue, armbar or not. Miller probably beats her. But that being said, like, logic just gets thrown out the window in a lot of these fights. So as much as I like Miller, Miller's my kind of gal, um, she's going to make a lot of mistakes in there. And you see it in all of her fights. She's green, improving, learning. But by her own account, she's been training MMA for like two, three years. So there will be mistakes to be made. And Hardy, you probably got to go to bed every night with Dan being like, look how she digs the underhook. And then, and then so she's like, oh my God, why did I marry this guy? I thought he had a ton of money and he was in the good graces of everybody. And, you know, he fought George St. Pierre. Is he not super wealthy? No. Ah, shit. What can you do when you live in a shoe, Paul? What can you do? So, yeah, I got to go with Juliana Miller. But again, like minus 450 screams, big favorite, and we're confident and we love it, and it's going to be up there. And she may go in there and look like a minus 10,000 favorite. She could go in there and be this week's J.J. Aldrich. So, you know, again, just just total buyer beware. I'm picking Miller as well. Um, Hardy is surprisingly still only 27. She was very young, so she had – she took three years off, did a whole bunch of broadcasting. She did some shows with uh, with Robin Black and I forget, uh, Aries Fighting Championship or something like that. She's been doing broadcasting for these years. And then obviously she's back here for this spot here. It's all a little bit puzzling, I suppose. Um, I mean, going from Bia Malecki, who is like six foot one, um, and fighting. Pounds. Yeah, 145 pounds and being. Uh, yeah, literally having a, a straw weight frame, 5'4", 
um, 64 inch reefs. Like she's, she's had a very, very strange career, interesting career. I don't know where her motivation is. Is this is like one of those fights where it's like, we owe you a fight. We still have a fight under contract. She comes out here and lays an egg. I, I don't know. Has she been really training while she's been doing all of this broadcasting? I'm sure she's been putting in some work, but it's like there's a lot of question marks, and we know that Juliana Miller is putting in the putting in the work every single day. The minus 450 kind of scares me uh, to no end. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think she rolls. Like I, I was impressed by what she's like in terms of like her tenacity in those grappling exchanges against uh, Brogan Walker Sanchez. Last time out, I, I, I see more upside from a uh, prospect con, uh, standpoint from Juliana Miller. But yeah, Hardy still only being 27 is like very, very puzzling to me. So we'll see. I mean, we're going to find out. We're going to find out real early um, during this card here. Because obviously this is in the UK. So this card should start like four or five hours earlier than uh, the normal times. I uh, haven't looked at the actual confirmed start time for the card, but uh, I guess we'll find that out on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I got to work KSW the say uh, 1 p.m. and KSW starts at 2 p.m. So sadly, I'll be watching both concurrently. But uh, oh well, whatever. There's worse problems to have in this life. Um, yeah, 15 fights. It'd be it'd be going way after it's done. So don't got to worry about that. Uh, PRP kid, hit us with it. Okay, it looks chalky this week, no doubt. But again, if we can just keep the apple pie shitters to the bottom end, that's going to be the key. I don't care if I only get two, three tickets right. I got to make sure I get the best fighters of those two, three tickets. We are going to go with Kamaru Usman. We're going to go Rafael Fazeev. I'm going to take Brian Barbarena for the sake of having a dog pick on this show. That could change. Keep in mind that could change. And if it's Brian Barbarena, he is the PRP pick, the 15th guy at the bottom. Keep that in mind. I'm going to go Jennifer Maya. That's going to be dog number two. We're going to take Marvin Vittori, Jack Shore, Omar Morales. That's an even money pick. Sam Patterson, Muhammad Makayev, Lerone Murphy. Jusko Todorovic, dog number three. Don't love it, but that is dog number three. I'm going to go Jake Hadley, Joanne Wood, Ludovic Klein, Juliana Miller. So I don't even really feel great about these three underdogs that I do have. The best of the bunch maybe being Jennifer Maya. How could you feel great about that? But I, I'm not trying to hunt some dog. I just need to zone in on who are my, my, my big guys, right? Usman, I like. You can put him at the top because you can hedge it out. Keep in mind, the last time they fought, that kick killed two guys in one go. Killed Leon Edwards, or sorry, killed Kamar Usman, and also killed Lock of the Night. One kick ended his ass. Don't be making massive bets on MMA at the top. Singles, oof. All the same, could happen again, but I like Usman. I feel like Fizzy's not super trustworthy, but he's going to get some play. I like Marvin Vittori. I like-ish Sam Patterson. I like-ish Lerone Murphy. I like Jake Hadley. I like Ludovic Klein. If I can zone in like four, five, six of those favorites and we can go with that, perfect. The rest of the card, we're just going to need some bounces and hope things uh, fall into place. So again, you've got, you know, Invicta. If you're watching this on a Wednesday, you got Invicta FC on Wednesday. There's LFA this weekend. There's an ACA this weekend. There is uh, one of those shitty PFL Challenger series. On the Friday, there's a KFW on the Saturday. There's 15 UFC fights on the Saturday. So, again, I, I don't think you have to bet every single spot. If you do, small little action, $1 parlays, $2 parlays, a couple little props that you want to try to hit, you know, these big 6-1, to 7-1 type long shot props just for the fun of it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the main thing is here, who are going to be our, our, our core four? Who's the core four? If I can get six, 
money, money. But who are the core four that are not going to shit in my apple pie this week? Because J.J. Aldridge last week really uh, hurt things. Hundo P, bro. Hundo P. I mean, you had a pretty hot start, or you had a pretty hot run there recently. I know you. I've known you for years. You will 100% get on track. I like that you're one of us now, because it can be... It can be, I mean, yeah, it was the Landsberg fight that really, you know, set it in for me. I'm like, you got out of trouble. And then you went right back into trouble with like 15 seconds left. So 15 seconds left in the second round. And and she got herself knee barred. So it's a very volatile game. We got 15 fights and volatility is the name of the game. Sorry, it sounded like you had something to say. Yeah, I was I was lying there the other day. I was thinking about it. I was like, if you were to say, put me on the spot and say, what's the biggest by the numbers, uh, like dog hit in the last two years? It'd be like shit by the numbers. Maria Agapova losing to Shayna Dobson by the numbers. She was like an eighteen to one favorite. It's like oh crazy women's MMA struck on that one. It's like well, what's the, like the biggest upset you've seen? In the last two years, it's like, oh, got to be Juliana Pena versus the GOAT, Amanda Nunez. Like, come on, Amanda Nunez is the GOAT, right? No one's disagreeing with that. And Juliana Pena, she's like the fifth best girl in the division, like crazy. It's like, yeah, those are two years ago. What's the biggest upset you've seen recently? It's like, oh, Valentin Shevchenko. What's the common denominator here, Paul? is that i'm an idiot i'm an idiot pop pat mayo's been onto this for years man we lived together for two years like a decade ago and he was talking about it back then so eventually i just gotta start listening right and that that's 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 the focus here is uh stop making the bonehead plays be a lot smarter and no more jj aldrich's yeah that was i mean props uh th- that was a really weird one because that was the best uh what's her name again i can't recall off the top of my head yeah, Ariana that was the Lipsky. best Lipsky has looking. ever looked. Like all, For like sure. all of that KSW, like the highlights and stuff. It's just like it wasn't anything. Like she had a lot of like crazy finishes and stuff in KSW. She's fighting absolute nobodies, but it's like she really put the entire game together there. I was pretty impressed by, uh, but what? Like she's finally, I feels like after that fight, coming into her own and fulfilling all the potential that a lot of people thought she would have coming into the division. And she ain't too bad to look at. So you know the UFC marketing machine is like, let's go. Uh, Lipsky, Lipsky to the moon. All right, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan, Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.